What is it that makes something extraordinary? You ever thought about that? Something that stands out, something that's different than everything else. And, and have you ever thought about this? There's some things that happen, and when they happen at first, they're extraordinary, and then they kind of become ordinary, right? You know, you, you think about um, things like the first time that Roger Bannister, he's the one that broke that four-minute mile barrier. You know, he made it into that, and you think, wow, that was extraordinary. And now you watch the Olympics, and you go, that's pretty ordinary, you know, because everybody can, can do that. But the first time it happens, it's like, that is amazing. That's something that, that stands out. And last week, as we were looking at the story of Philip, we saw someone who, again, as I told you, as I studied that story, it seemed like the commentators just made it a point, and everybody who brought it up to just make it this point that, well, Philip was just an ordinary follower of Christ. He was just someone who did what God was asking him to do, and he did it wherever he was. He did it whenever God asked him to do it, and, he, and he, it didn't really matter on anything else. And so he was just this ordinary guy who followed Christ, but because he was this ordinary guy who followed Christ, it ended up that some of the things he did became pretty extraordinary. Well, today, I want to talk about something that's pretty extraordinary. It's the story of Saul, and we're in the book of Acts, but we're going to be in the book of Timothy. How about that? How's that work? Well, because the story comes from the book of Acts, but I would encourage you, if you have your Bible, to turn open to 1 Timothy. And what we're looking at, as far as something being extraordinary, isn't really the person of Paul, it's the grace of God. The extraordinary grace of God poured out on a person's life. And it's something that's happened for many, many people. But here's the deal. Even though that it's happened a lot of times, it just never gets old. It remains extraordinary. No matter how many times it happens, the grace of God poured out on a person's life is pretty extraordinary. Because for that person, they're thinking that, wow, I, 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 I can't understand this. I don't deserve this. I can't believe this. And yet God pours out his love and his grace in such a way that it never gets old. It never gets old. It never gets ho-hum. It never actually even becomes expected at times for people. It's always extraordinary. And one of the greatest pictures that we have of this is the story of Paul. And we have an advantage with his story, which is why we're looking at 1 Timothy. We have an advantage of someone who, from the time we encounter Saul in the book of Acts to the time that we see this, this uh, book written here in 1 Timothy, approximately 30, 40 years in there. So we have the advantage of not only seeing the first of the story, but we have the advantage of hearing somebody who actually lived and walked in faith with Christ and sums up their story at the end of life. And this is what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Paul's writing and he says this, I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. Let's just stop right there and let that sentence sink in. How many people do you know in life that have enough self-awareness and security 
and faith in who they are that they can write a sentence that says, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an arrogant man, but I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. Basically saying, I used to be a horrible person, but I was just stupid. But God loved me in my stupidity, and he met me in my arrogance and in my unbelief, and he poured out his grace on me. That is a self-aware and secure human being who can do that. That is someone who's experienced some incredible life change. Verse 14, he says, and the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This, is a, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. Paul saying, I, I, you couldn't get worse than me. And Christ Jesus met me where I was and poured out his extraordinary grace on me. But listen to this. Because his story right here is the same for us is the same as for us. Verse 16. But I received mercy for this reason. We receive the mercy and the grace of God for a reason. It's to accomplish the purposes of God. I receive mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. We have a wonderful advantage with this story that we get to see how someone sums up a 40-year journey that begins with this incredible story of transformation that we'll get into in a little bit and talks about what it meant to walk in faith with Christ, and has now summed it up in just a few sentences to basically say this, I once was this way, I was awful, it was bad, I was acting out of ignorance, I was acting out of unbelief, I did horrible things, but God poured out extraordinary grace on my life, and he saved me, and he set me aside, he didn't just save me for his goodness, and he didn't just save me for my comfort, he saved me for a purpose, and then he set my life onto that purpose. And because I've lived for that purpose, I can now say glory to God. And he's using me as an example every day that God's extraordinary grace is available to all who will have it. We can go home, but we're not going to. All right. Here's the truth for us, church. We all have a past. When you're not willing to admit that, you're not willing to really walk with God. We all have a past. And as a matter of fact, sometimes we're scared to talk about our past. And let's just be honest, there are appropriate venues in which to talk about your past and how much to talk about your past and those type of things. But we all have one. And what you see consistently in the life of Paul, who's also known as Saul, and that's not different. That's like Tim being known as Timothy and Tim and Timbo and this type of stuff. So it's like Lindell being Lindell and Lindito to my little third grade uh, girlfriend's mom. So that was it. You know, the, it, it's, it's just a name. And sometimes people like to say, oh, well, God changed his name from Saul's. No, 
His name was Saul, and then he became known as Paul. I have a theory on this, and you can throw it in the trash can on your way out. When you used to persecute Christians under the name Lindell, I'm going to go start by my middle name from now. Hi, I'm James. You know what I'm saying? Because if you're going to church at that point in time, you really don't want to be associated with that person anymore. So Paul, also known as Saul, had a past. And he didn't exalt his past as, look at all this. He, he said, he acknowledged, I have a past. And in that past, I acted out of arrogance, I acted out of unbelief, and I was not a good person. And so he doesn't exalt his past. He doesn't he doesn't sit with his past and just say, well, everybody has a past and so it's not a big deal. There's a buzz and we can all ignore it, okay? There we go. All right. But he acknowledges I have a past. But God took me in the midst of what I was doing and gave me a different path than what I was once on. And so let me, let me say this. Your past can be changed by God. Your past, in a sense, can be made not necessarily irrelevant, but it doesn't have to keep you from experiencing the fullness of life and the grace of God. There are so many people who are thinking that, well, because of Whatever I've done, I can't really whatever. And when you begin to see Paul's story, you begin to know, um, yeah, when Paul says he was the worst, I would, I would find it difficult to find others who could come alongside him and hold that mantle as well. And if God can change Paul, this is what he's saying. If God can change me, the message that needs to be shared with everybody is truly and literally God can change anybody. Now, there's a belief in our culture. It might not be stated as such. Maybe it is stated at times. Maybe it's taught and put out there before. But there's this belief that's taught uh, in, in our culture. And it goes something like this along the lines of, well, as long as you're sincere with what you believe, then that's really what matters, right? <laughs> you know, guys, the truth of that is sometimes we're just sincerely wrong. And that's what we need to admit. Sometimes we can be as sincere and as wholehearted and as into something as we could possibly be, and it can still be pointing us in a wrong direction. Listen to me as we begin to look at the story in Acts chapter 9, because this is the frame that I want to give you as we look at Acts chapter 9. There is no correlation between your level of passion and sincerity and the rightness of your actions. Sometimes we are just as sincere and as passionate as we can be pursuing the thing that is absolutely the worst thing that we could possibly be pursuing. And sometimes that passion and sincerity is fueled by mentors. Sometimes that passion and sincerity is fueled by peers. Sometimes that passion and sincerity is fueled by so many things in the culture that sound like I'm just doing the right things that I'm supposed to be doing, and yet in the midst of it, we're wrong. And until we're willing to be in a place in our lives where we can look and say, hey, you know what, I, I, I can be wrong about things, then we're never going to begin, we're never going to understand what it would be like to walk with Christ Jesus. So let's look at the first of the story that we see while Paul was still called Saul in Acts chapter 9. It says, now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, which was what 
it was called at that point in time, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Now imagine that. Now how about that one? You know, it, I'll say this, Paul, Paul, Saul, Paul, I'll say it both ways today. He was so passionate and so sincere about what he believed was right and what he believed was the truth. He was getting permission from the leaders to go and throw people in jail and persecute them and murder them and do horrible things to them to protect what he thought was right. Now, I will say that oftentimes when we read, when we read stories like this in Scripture and when we perhaps have only experienced a culture like the United States of America, we've grown up in this environment. You can pick it up, bud. It's all right. Go right ahead. There you go. All right. Um, when we've only experienced this type of culture or maybe this type of bubble or whatever that we've been in, then it's hard for us sometimes to comprehend this type of persecution. It's hard for us to understand, well, why would he be doing this or what's going on or how could people experience this? But I, So I'm going to say this again. Um, in our culture, I said this a few weeks ago and, and I just still believe it's the truth. A lot of times in our culture, it's not necessarily this persecution that keeps us from experiencing the fullness of faith in God. It's, it's this pursuit of comfort. It's this pursuit of comfort oftentimes in our culture that keeps us from experiencing God. So when we see these incredible stories of persecution, I, I, some of us, some of us, not all of us, some of us has a disconnect of going, well, I, that, that would never, you know, happen. Even though it happens all over the world today and we don't see it. Just because we don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. But for us, sometimes it's this pursuit of comfort that keeps us from experiencing the fullness of God. You, you see, we don't want to be inconvenienced at times, or, or we don't want to give up our preferences, or we don't want to give up our, our things, or we don't want to change our schedule. And so we, we, at times, miss out on what it is to have a fully devoted faith to God. And it's, it's not that we're, we're battling persecution necessarily, in our world, we're, we're battling comfort oftentimes and, and inconvenience and these type of things. And so let that be a challenge as it should be to us that pursuing God with all we have is worth whatever you will put into it. It, it absolutely is. And this is one of the things we get out of this. And so Paul, however, was persecuting Christians. And as we said last week when we looked at Philip, it would seem like when Stephen was killed for his faith, that there would be a lot of people at that point in time who are followers of Christ who would look and go, whoa, 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 I'm out. I'm, if we're all getting killed over this, I'm stepping away. But actually what happens is God used that moment to begin spreading people out. And what Philip did was he just kept sharing the things that God had shown him wherever God put him. And so we see this message spreading, and now we see Saul leading group of people to go, okay, this is spreading, we got to put it out now. And so he's going and pursuing them to persecute them, to keep this thing from happening. And so Paul was sincere, and Paul was very passionate in his pursuit of wrong. He was incredibly sincere 
You couldn't be more sincere. You couldn't be more passionate. And you couldn't be more wrong all at the same time. So let's practice. Everybody ready? Say it after me. I was wrong. Some of you don't believe that, do you? And I'll just say this. I I don't say this out of a a false humility or out of anything. Sometimes we have a past. We can't go back and change things. But, man, I'd love to go back to 25-year-old Lindell and sit down and go, dude, chill out on some things, okay? That you, you are passionately wrong about some things that you are pursuing, that you are stuck. You just need to settle down on these things, and you need to know. Wouldn't you love to go back to younger you and go, hey, here's some things you need to do different. But Paul was sincere. He was passionate. He was wrong. He thought he was right. His mentors thought he was right. His peers thought he was right, but he was wrong. And on the road to Damascus, he was confronted with the truth, the truth, in person, the truth. He was confronted with the truth. Now, we also have a tendency to read this story and just kind of buzz over it. Okay, well, Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus, and then Paul became a missionary. Amen. <laughs> and we, we tend to, whoop, hey, we fast forward just a little bit there on what's going on in the midst of this. It says that Paul, in the story, was then led into Damascus, and he was there about three days not eating or drinking. That's probably an understatement to me. If you've come into something like that that has rocked your world, you, have you had that moment yet where that thing that you were so passionately pursuing you realize is empty and it's wrong? It's not like you feel like going out and partying after that and going, I discovered the truth. Sometimes when we're confronted with the truth, we just feel miserable. Because we are just confronted with what in the world is going on. And I can't help but believe that while Paul spent three days in Damascus, what was going on in his mind was a struggle that all of us struggle with at times. And it's this. I have now been exposed to something that is different than what I have experienced. It's different than what I have known. It's different than what everybody has taught me. It's different than what everybody has told me. And now I have a choice. Am I going to believe what has been told to me here, or am I going to believe what I've been living all of my life? And I honestly think that Paul spent three days in Damascus being a little bit tortured by that. And just absolutely experiencing, wow, if, if I was wrong on all of this, I cannot imagine the damage that I have done and letting those things begin to sink in. I cannot imagine the the awfulness of my sinfulness. I cannot imagine the depth of my harm to people by passionately and sincerely pursuing things which were wrong. That's a message for all of us. Sometimes we just don't let it sink in. The incredible damage that we're doing to ourselves or the incredible damage that we're doing to those around us when we continue to passionately and sincerely pursue things which are wrong. And like I said, sometimes we do it not necessarily because of persecution or because of opposition. Sometimes we just do it because of comfort or apathy or just preference and that we just flat, I just don't want to change. I don't want to give this up. God, God, I read your word. Where it says that I can experience a life that goes beyond anything that I can imagine if I will go all in on Jesus and if I will pursue you. But you know what, God, I got appointments this week. And if you could just kind of fit into those appointments, maybe we can make this work out. Paul had appointments too. 
They all changed. Every one of them changed when he encountered God. So that's the matter. I'm not trying to be harsh on us. I'm trying to say it this way. Don't miss the greatness of God for the pursuit of less. When we give our all to God and we pursue him with all we have, we experience that life. But we miss out on it in our culture, not necessarily because we're persecuted or because it's hard, but because it's inconvenient or it's uncomfortable. That's what it looks like sometimes in our culture. You preach this message overseas, nobody's going to understand what I'm saying. Okay? So this is one of those you put up on the internet and somebody overseas goes, what's he talking about? But I'm saying this for our culture, for our world, for our time right here, is that God has something that he wants us to pursue. So I believe that Paul was truly spending three days here in a struggle to go, I'm either going to double down (laughs) and I'm going to hold on tight to what I'm doing and now I know what I'm going up against face to face and so I'm going to be all in on this or I have to go and say those words again, I was wrong and I have to stand on those as a starting point to say, hey, I'm, I'm wrong on these things. I have now discovered a, a piece of things that I didn't understand. You know, that's, that's something that happens oftentimes uh, in our lives. I mean, I know I see it all the time. Is that, And I've learned something a little bit in life. Is that there's oftentimes that I've started to say, well, with everything that I understand so far, this is the choice that I would make. Because what I try to tell people is sometimes is, There may be another piece of information that might cause me to change my approach to this. There may be another piece of information that might cause me to change my schedule, to change my attitude, to change my answer, or to change my thought on this. But with everything that I can see and understand so far, here's my answer. And I think that this is, again, what's happening. Paul says, well, everything that I understood up until this point in time put me passionately and sincerely pointing in this direction. But then when I discovered the truth, We know that Paul made the change. So the choice is this. We double down on our sincere following of the things that are wrong or we repent and we follow the things of God. This requires each and every one of us coming to a place where we admit that we have a past. I think oftentimes we limit our thought of I have a past as a follower of Christ to only, well, One time when I didn't know Christ, I thought this way. But now that I know Christ, everything's good. But that's not really how it happens. Because can I tell you something? I came to know Christ when I was six years old. And I've been wrong since then. A lot. And so sometimes this process of passionately and sincerely pursuing Christ brings me to places as an adult where I go, wow. I was doing that wrong because you'll never find someone, I promise you, we have some incredibly smart people in this church who have been a blessing to me. And and you'll never find someone, though, who knows everything about this book. God's word is living and active. He speaks to us. He continues to teach. Every time I read through it, I discover something else. I get another piece of information where I have to come to this place and go, there's another adjustment that needs to be made. If you find someone that says, well, I've got all this down, you just come talk to me. Run. Run. Okay? 
Because this is what it means. It's, it's this continual process. And I think that that's what Paul continued to demonstrate. I can't preach all of his books today. But I think that's one of the things that you can continue to see in his walk. Is that he discovered that this major point that, okay, I need to begin to follow Christ. But when we begin to follow Christ, we begin to passionately and sincerely pursue him. And then along the way, we begin to discover stuff that we go, oh, I need to change this. Oh, I need to adjust this. Oh, I need to do this differently. So here's the truth that you need to understand. Is that when someone is passionately and sincerely following Christ, there is going to be the evidence of change in their life. It's going to be there. For some, it may be more subtle. I came to Christ when I was six years old, and it was sincere, okay? But it's difficult to see life change in a six-year-old, isn't it? I mean, it, it, but you can see fruit of a decision as they grow older and older and things like that. And that, that's what begins to happen in our lives as we follow Christ. Even though our passions may once have been pointed in the wrong direction, when we put our passions and our sincerity pointing on a pursuit of Christ, then our life begins to change. And everything that we do is done to follow him. So here's the truth that happens with this sometimes, is that it's another issue for us, if we really look at it, is that there are many people who just flat truly don't want their life to change. That's just it. That change is hard, change is scary, sometimes change is lonely. Can you imagine how lonely the change was for Paul? We see on in the story. First of all, God told this guy named Ananias to go pray for Paul. Ananias' response was, hey, God, um, you, you, you know Paul, right? Um, he's got a letter, and that letter says he could kill me. And God says, Ananias, you just go over there and do that. And that's like, okay. And then we see on verse 26 of Acts chapter 9, Saul, when he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. That may be the biggest understatement in all of Scripture. And here's what comes to my mind. It's still lived out today. There are people who could walk through that door right now, sit at the back of that pew, and strike fear in the heart of every person in this place. And the truth is, we don't know what's going on in people's hearts and lives. And so the disciples, and I don't blame them, Rightly so, said, hey, 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 we got to see some fruit here first before we just kind of just let them on in here. We need to see something because this is scary, letting someone in. And then, of course, we know the, the long story is that eventually Barnabas comes along, however, and took him and brought him to the apostles and explained how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus and Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. And when the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So 
Here's what it also takes is it takes that person to be able to come alongside and say, let me help you along the way. You know, God can use us to do that as well. God can use us to, to take people who are experiencing this life change and though they may scare everybody else to death, there may need to be that Barnabas for somebody to come alongside someone and, and say, let, let me get in with you. Let me help you walk with the Lord. Let me see what's going on and can help someone navigate this world. See, but this change that happens. What, now, what would have happened if we didn't see change in Paul's life? If he said, God, now I'm, I really believe you, but he continued doing the same things that he always did. Would we believe that he had changed, that Christ had come into his heart? No. And yet that's what a lot of us are living in our Christian walk. We think that somehow it's just a decision. And I think Henry Blackaby says it this way, God doesn't call us to make a decision. God calls us to obey. And those are two totally different things. I have decided for weeks that I'm going to begin running again, and the running shoes have not been on my feet one time. And, and, and I'll tell you, sincerely in my heart, I want to. I'm like, I need to, I need to start doing this again. I'm tired of being out of breath, walking upstairs. I, I know the fact, and so I'm going to do it. No. There's a decision, there is a difference between a decision and obedience. And Christ calls us to obedience. And so Paul began to obey something different than what he was obeying before. And it's the extraordinary grace of God that was poured out on Paul that set his life on mission. And it wasn't because he decided. It was because he obeyed. And, and that's the difference for us. When we begin to obey God's word, then we will begin to experience life like never before. It, it's, it's not this getting rid of all this yuck in our life. We all have a past. It's this pursuing things that have a future. It's this understanding that it's the extraordinary grace of God that can be poured out on our lives, that can forgive us of our sins, that can cleanse us, that can make us whole again, even though we, we still have a past out there, that can come into our lives and give us a future and a hope and a story like Paul's, where he can come to the point and he can say, I give thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man, but I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now, to the King Eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What are you passionately and sincerely 
pursuing today. We all have a past, but that's not the issue. The question is this, what is your future? What is your future? 